Coming at you from the We Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas, you're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 74 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton. I'm joined this week by Kevin Cook. Jeremy Paxton is, I don't know, somewhere in Florida or something like that this week. But we are excited to be joined in studio by two guests, Hunter Atkins, who you might remember from a a few weeks back who joined us two or three times and also a new guest Aaron Reese who is uh, a student at Mizzou right now in their J school uh, great intern uh, you did a great job interning with the Houston Chronicle and as as I've been told Kanye West is your biggest supporter is that accurate something like that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I took a uh, I took an English class about Kanye when I was a sophomore and that then the winter break after that I went to a restaurant met him there uh, and I was the only sort of restaurant goer who approached him, and I told him. I Why do you think that is? Why was I the one who approached? Yeah, him? I think he scares a lot of people. I think so. <laughs> I think that's a fair. <laughs> I mean, this was before he went blonde too. So, even yeah. even so, still an intimidating figure. Yeah, but he uh, he had to walk past me to exit the restaurant. Reached my hand <laughs> out, uh, said "sir," which I think kind of threw him off. He looked at me very oddly, tentatively shook my hand. And I told him I had taken this class about him, which is like a huge ego stroke to him. I can't believe they offer a class about Kanye at Mizzou. And Jay-Z. And Jay-Z. Yeah. Oh, is it about both of them? Yeah. Did you tell him the class is about both of them? Are they they rivals? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. You guys are from, you guys have been in New York. Are Jay-Z and Kanye rivals? You guys have been in New York. Therefore, you're experts on this. (laughs) I listen to Bob Dylan. Like, I'm very white. It was called. It was called. The class was modern authors, Jay Z and Kanye. Wow, that was the syllabus. That's generous. So, so With a Z, modern yeah, authors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. I told him my term paper, and then he he like said he said that he goes that was that's dope, and then we took a picture, and that was. So this is this is on your Twitter profile, which I've looked up here because we brought some new people in. I did a little background research here. It's at it's Reese. Is that you said? Yeah. It could be Rice. Are you sure it's not Rice? I think it was Rice. Uh-huh. And then when my grandpa came to the United States, he wanted to sound less Jewish. So Fair enough. That's <laughs> okay. I, I can I can understand that for sure. So yeah, at Aaron G. Reese and his <laughs> Twitter Cook? bio. The only thing did you Cook say, sound Jewish? Does Cook sound Jew? No, Cook doesn't sound Jewish. Okay, but you, you uh, said well, you, you mispronounced it. it. It's Hook. <laughs> <laughs> Hook. I'm not going to say what I was going to think. But anyway, uh, the, the, the bio on your Twitter says, Kanye West once said my term paper topic was quote-unquote dope. So to be clear, the term paper topic was Kanye West. That's what he was referring to being dope. Yeah, yeah. The term paper topic was about uh, the ironic symbol, like ironic use of traditional symbols of love in his uh, music. And so I mostly referred to the uh, bound uh, the bound music video. Oh yeah, we're all intimately familiar with that. Yeah, Yeah, and I I told him I told him my thesis and he goes, Oh, that's dope. And then we took a picture and yeah. So if you want to meet Kanye, run into him and have written a term paper about him. Seems to be the consensus here. So welcome. We're glad to have you. Hope we have you many more times in the future, Aaron and uh, Hunter. Welcome back, buddy. Thanks, Kevin. Good to be back. So you may have noticed we're playing some music in the intro there. It is a bit of a departure from our normal musical stylings here, but it is in honor of a piece that you wrote uh, today. It's out today. It's, bra- it's hot off the presses, literally and figuratively. I think probably 90% of people will read it online, but it did exist on a press somewhere. What uh, I'm looking at it. What's the title of it? What, what, a, what a, the, musical, <laughs> the musical I'm just band. letting you figure out how to read. <laughs> I was trying to sound it out. The it's musical man, Rocket GM, Daryl Morey's other obsession. And the other obsession is what? Why would we be playing Faith by George Michael? So Daryl Morey, first of all, is obsessed with musical theater. Um, is anyone here surprised by that? I was. 
I had no idea. I, I hope so, because that's sort of the point of the story, Kevin. Um, <laughs> but also, no, and, and, and we also played... Uh, see, not only does he love musical theory, he loves pop music. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a cool story. You know, here's a guy who, you know, is extremely well written about, right? A well regarded. Michael mm-hmm. Lewis has a chapter in his new book that's sure to be a bestseller, devoted to Maury and his mathematical genius. And MIT Sloan, all that. Yeah. And it was nice that I was able to have a conversation with him one time and figure out, oh, there's something else about this guy that hasn't been written that he's obsessive and loving about. Uh, and he has this voracious mind. So, you know, on the surface you think, like, what a weirdo. Right, like he loves musical theater. It I think it's cool that you have a GM that's that eclectic, mm. without question. No, and and what I was going to say is, you know, I thought it was laughable at first because you think of you know the Lion King, or you think of Cats, and you think of that sort of like pomp and circumstance. But in talking with him, he actually has such an intricate understanding of it that you know, based on the same things he he loves about mathematics and evaluating players, that same lens could be used to see how much he loves musicals. And really, it's the music composition side of it that he's obsessed with. So it was an awesome story, super fun, weird, off the beaten path, exactly what I like to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for anybody that, you know, you think you've read everything there is about this guy, here is a totally new thing to mine. Uh, definitely weird and fun. Yeah, and I th- thought, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, <laughs> he is a little bit odd. I say I'm not surprised because it does fit with what I perceive as being sort of. I do people like him in high school, I think. Maybe not any as bright as him specifically, but people with a diverse range of interests, people who are passionate to the point of being, I think, mocked unfairly by some people. I, he. You know, Daryl Morey has a great reputation, but he's also kind of poked fun at a lot. And this is something that musical theater, you know what it is. The the revelation that was shocking to me was that he is involved in a production of his own. Now, the title, and I'm not making this up. I hope you're not making it up either, Hunter. Small Ball. Yeah. What is Small Ball? To me, that sounds like a baseball reference. Well, it's obviously a nod to his unique place in sports. Maybe not unique, but his pioneering place in sports as this wonk. You know, like it's a, a world that's run by athletes and he's emerged as a stat-driven, unabashed dork. Um, but the premise of his musical, which he says is going to debut in within 18 he months. guarantees it. Yeah. Is that the people of Lilliput, which is this fantastic... Travels. Yeah, fantastical island in Gulliver's Travel, Travels. They want to join FIBA, the International Basketball <laughs> <laughs> League. But they're not good enough, so they import Michael Jordan. The twist is that it's just a guy named Michael Jordan. It's not it's the... Michael B. Jordan, yeah. It's, it's a, re, a reimagining <laughs> of Space Jam, right? Is what it seems like to me. Somebody so, else said that to me, too, that they're ba- he's basically like reappropriating sure. Space Jam. I didn't challenge him on that. I didn't really think about it at the time because I was so blown, blown away by the absurdity of this idea. <laughs> but... I guess, yeah, I mean, uh, it actually justifies the idea in some way. I will say, if this does come to pass, and I, ho- I really sincerely hope that it does, I will be first in line to buy tickets to this. I cannot wait to see what Moray and... So uh, I'm going to hold you to that? Yeah, please. Because I'm going to write about you as the guy that's <laughs> first in line at yeah. 4 a.m. I, well, you've only given I know you me didn't more agree incentive. to that part, but you're going to have to. <laughs> so it's going to be 4 a.m. You're going to be there a savage... Just wait. Absolutely. Yeah. We should do a live podcast. We certainly should. I think we should. Mikkel Marr? Is that how you say the guy's name? Um, 
like Bill the Maher. playwright, yeah, yeah, yeah Maher. Maher, yeah, the playwright that he is basically working on it way. So there are, uh, I don't want to say legitimate. We've talked about this way too much. People yeah. don't care that much <laughs> I about Daryl Morey care. working on a musical. All right, so if you want to read Hunter's story, it's called The Musical Man. Uh, Rocket GM Daryl Morey's other obsession. Go ahead and check it out on HoustonChronicle.com. It came out uh, December twenty third, and you can also look at Hunter's Twitter profile to find more information. But here in just a few moments, we're going to talk with Paul Galan from Sports Radio six ten on the Houston Texans and kind of uh, the you know the Brock Osweiler situation, how he's been such a terrible what quarterback. Happened? He's horrible. What? Osweiler? I mean, you look <laughs> at our group text each week, and it, it, it's almost standard after he throws a pick. I went to eight Texans training camp practices, and he threw a pick or two at every single one of them. Jeez. Wow. Maybe he's just trying to impress you. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying <laughs> to he certainly did. I mean, you haven't forgotten yeah. that for yeah. a moment. Yeah, yeah he's, been, he's been horrible, abjectly horrible. And God bless him. I mean, he seems like a likable enough guy. I don't know, you guys have met him, right? What do you think? He seems nice. He seems boring. Yeah. Well, I mean, most quarterbacks, I guess, are boring. He's hot not. take by the rook <laughs> Aaron <laughs> Reese over there. He's, he's very diplomatic. Yeah. I, I think he, you know, in a lot of his post-game press conferences, he's like, you know, it's always about the team. He's yeah, I have like, a different take on that. But I, he, No, let's hear that's, it. That's actually pretty disparaging to say he's diplomatic. He's he's remarkably well-polished. That's true. You know, like, and so we, you know, we work with John McClain, right, the guy the, who covers the Texans, and I've had a frequent guest on the show. He's awesome, and he talks about time and time again about how the guy has done everything right. Yeah, but he hasn't played well. Yeah. He's actually, I, I happen to think he's rather, I, I guess, boring's unfair. He does seem genuine, though, and authentic. Does that make sense? He and he's like a he's sympathetic dead. figure, too. Yeah. I think he's really good. I, it's, it's, it's a shame that, look, bottom line is he's not skilled enough. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. He yes. played everything right with the benching, but I mean, it's not going to get him another job. He's been terrible. I mean, with seventy-two million dollars, thirty-seven guaranteed, yeah, you so don't he, need he's it. on the books. Job, another job, yeah, ever. Yeah. yeah, he'll be he'll be replacing me next week. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the books for uh, I think seventeen million heading into the twenty seventeen season. So we'll talk a little bit more on that with Paul Galan from Sports Radio six ten here in just a few moments. But uh, you know, kind of pivoting off of the Maury conversation, uh, the Rockets uh, they had their ten game winning streak snap this past week against the San Antonio Spurs dropping the game 102 to 100 but they shot just what under 16 percent from the three-point mm-hmm. line and uh, they were still almost able to win that game despite the uh, disastrous fourth quarter if you will but they bounced back the next night going to what i believe eight no on the second half of back-to-back games so uh, the rockets obviously good shape but i'm curious do you still does anyone still buy them as a western conference contender despite that setback against the spurs or are you a little more hesitant now I think you need an injury to the Warriors, you know, like which could easily happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of you know they've been preordained as if not the champions, certainly being in the finals. And yeah, the Rockets had that awesome road win, double overtime over the Warriors, but that's the gold standard. Get it? But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's the only thing that I think would really make it a possibility. But also, that may be a very unfair barometer of how well the Rockets are playing, or that you know what I mean. Are they I are think, they this good or is yeah. it, are they playing a little above? I think it was remarkable that they stayed in the game in that first half when they shot terror. Like that, they didn't make a three until I think the third, like late in the second quarter. Yeah, they or were something like and that. they were and six was, for thirty eight yeah. on the game from three. I mean, yeah. it was and they lost yeah. only because of a three pointer by Patty Mills with twelve point right. nine seconds yeah. or twelve point six seconds left in the game. Yeah, they imploded, but they also shouldn't have been in the game. Yeah, but based on what people think, how they should play, and well, that and they I bounced the, back was impressive the next night. The contention or, yeah. is that they're all about the three point shot, and if the threes aren't falling, then they can't win. I think that game was close enough with the threes not falling to show that they do have some range. They do 
you have some depth and ability to overcome. They're not a one-trick pony. Yeah, and actually there was a tweet that was sent out by uh, ESPN on Thursday, and it said that according to Popovich, he doesn't watch game tape on the opponent this time of year. That is except for one team, and that's the Rockets. He says that, quote, Harden is ridiculous. So to me, that's a little bit interesting that Popovich, who is arguably one of the greatest coaches in NBA history, only looks at film against the Rockets. So I think that shows you. Do you, you buy that? I think it goes to show you what kind of system Maury has built and just the dynamic uh, play that Harden has provided on the court. I mean, he's having an MVP caliber season. I think it's it's probably a toss up right now between him and Westbrook. Uh, Rockets are a much better team. Oh, absolutely. And I think you have. I think he's the favorite right now. And I believe some of the power rankings have moved him up into that number one slot the past few weeks. And uh, the Rockets, they are a very, very fun team to watch. And especially, uh, I think Gordon has been a uh, phenomenal. Uh, Six man of the year contender? I think so. I mean, he, just look at what he's doing. I think he's shooting uh, at a higher pace from the three-point line than Steph Curry this year. I mean, that's just remarkable. And uh, the Rockets do live and die by the three, but they you know, are able to do so much. And I think I'm, I'm kind of curious real quick. Clint Capella going out, he's out for, what, four to six weeks. Yeah. Does that have a major impact on that winning streak, or do you think the Rockets can get by over the next four to six weeks with kind of a, a soft schedule that is mostly at home? I think probably get by. I think the bigger issue is Capella and Anderson if they can stay healthy for a full season. They never, or yeah, sorry, Gordon and Anderson. Yeah, neither of them ever stayed healthy for a full season. I think that's something that everyone's kind of overlooked. And all this like talk of people getting really excited by the Rockets being better than they thought they would be is that that's great. But these guys have never stayed healthy the whole year. I mean, Capella, they've so far it's only been, what two games or whatever, and they and we fine, get some minutes from Montrezl. Yeah, which yeah. is not how you say his name, but I enjoy <laughs> saying it that way. Montrezl, yeah. Is that he said? Hmm. I thought it was Montrell. Yeah, I thought it was Montrell. They've said Montrell on the TV. I'm, pr- I'm almost everyone I've heard that would be correct. Well, he goes, but he goes by Trez. Does, does he? Hey, who cares? It should be Trez for sure. <laughs> Montrezl is a great name. That's uh, that's the name his mother gave him. He should go with it. Did she tell you that? Well, that's how it's spelled. You're such a good reporter. <laughs> uh, Hot takes from Kevin Cook. <laughs> yeah. No, but your question about can they get by with Acapella? Yeah, yeah. They should get by. But um, now you start to think. You know, certainly back to your question before are they western conference contenders right could they actually make it to the finals well man the, you need capella to come back fully healthy right mm-hmm. um i have no idea if a fibula injury is good or bad i know that dante cunningham it's not good the, excuse me I, I, I <laughs> it's not going to improve right, right, his game so. i mean if it's something that you can come back from right, quickly right, right. so dante cunningham with um he injured it with the timberwolves i think he was out or he was he was supposed to be out for three months and he came back um like it was a really bad one. They came back maybe in five to six weeks or something like that, and he was fine. So good like that. You can be optimistic as a Rockets fan that Capella will contribute. He'll be all right. But that's the bigger concern. You know what I mean? Like if you're really thinking about the future, don't worry about this next right. month or two months. Like how this team plays, they're in it, right? Especially with Blake going down for the Clippers. Like the Rockets are in a, a sweet spot. It's now all about you know is this team gonna get to a level where they're fully healthy and clicking so that they can actually give the Warriors a run for their money. Is there any possibility that Maury entertains a trade, uh, you know, yes. to fill yeah, that absolutely. spot? <laughs> yes. I mean, do you, do, you, do you really want to, I mean, is that I a possibility? Everybody keeps throwing that out. But it, that's, I don't know who they would trade for him. But also, I've seen that on Twitter, but I haven't heard, I have not seen that attributed to any reporter. I certainly no, don't yeah. have any information on that. What makes you say Noel? Well, I mean, he's disgruntled. And right. He spoke about that. Trying and to force his way out of the situation. In Philadelphia, and I mean, Philadelphia, everyone knows that they need to get rid of some of those guys. We well, so have to trust the process, right? Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> process is Embiid. Yeah, yeah, the process is <laughs> Embiid, the new nickname. Yeah, I like that. But wait, but so, all right. The asking price wouldn't be that high, I would presume. I mean, at least 
for Noel's talent, it would probably be lower. It wouldn't match his talent. But he has a big contract coming up, right? I mean, he's going to be a free agent in what year? Two I years? don't know. Will the Rockets need him for more than a year? That's a fair point. I mean, I, I just think that the everyone knows Philadelphia needs to unload these guys. At least so, some of them. All and right, so you get Noel. Um, then you have... I mean, maybe Noel's happy about it, but you do have... See, then you have like another log jam, right? So you right. What happens when Capone And he's unhappy about playing his eight, 12 minutes a game or whatever, but what, what more is he going to get here in Houston? Yeah, and... and a championship I, contender? And, no, and Nene's played nice enough... Carroll has played really well, actually, considering he was you know, non-factor last year. Mm-hmm. He, had more, he had, in his first 17 games this season, he had nine DNPs. So he's come on and been perfectly good. He actually is getting another like, start. Mm-hmm. He's actually starting over Nene. I'm not sure why. I haven't, I haven't spoken to D'Antonio about that. But, um, so it makes sense, gonna, though, I think. I don't have any issue with it. No, I, I don't. I'm, I'm just, I'm, what I was about to say is, so if they're going to go get a guy like Noel for even the short... In the short term, suddenly you have like a new problem. It yeah. may end up being much more of a headache than it's worth. Well, the team chemistry this year, I think, has been huge because I, I think last year we all saw that the Rockets were underperforming. They were not meeting their expectations. I didn't. I didn't watch any games. Well, so. you, you weren't here. <laughs> so. I'm Planet Earth. I wasn't here. Yet. <laughs> but you know, last yeah, I mean, after the fact, they come out and explicitly said they were unhappy. You heard from Marisa Harden talked about it. I mean, Harden called it the worst it. year of his life. Yeah, which I mean, that's pretty bad. You know, so I think that there's a lot of there's not just smoke. There's some fire that is visible there, and there doesn't seem to be this year. How much of it? How much of it deals with Howard leaving, and how much of it deals with D'Antoni's system? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know if I can answer that, but I, I know that just Howard. Is you could poisonous. ask somebody here who profiled Harden in a big feature for the local newspaper. Do yeah. you know who that might be? <laughs> You're looking yeah, at Aaron. Him. What are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, Harden was extra motivated in the off season. He had to change his habits. He went to Phoenix and trained, you know, sort of in isolation to prepare for this year. Shed a Kardashian. <laughs> yes, and he shed a Kardashian. Um, which we all know is the key to all MVP seasons. Absolutely. Um, so so he did that. I mean, I'm saying it's this confluence, right? So they get rid of Howard, who is the most disgruntled. Harden works extra hard. D'Antoni comes in, and then D'Antoni has... You know, he, he's called, I think... I don't remember the exact quote, but he's described this group that he has, Harden at the point, with the options of Anderson and Gordon and the versatility um, off the bench, like... He he thinks this is his best group yet, which is obviously saying a lot. Really? Yeah. Over the Nash groups? Yeah. He said. Well, he certainly he certainly has said that Harden. He's the most dynamic player he's ever had. Right, but he didn't use the word dynamic as he didn't water it down that way. Like he said that Harden's the best guy for this system. Yeah. So I'm saying is, you know, yeah, they shed Howard, which was this, you know, they got this big lump of coal, albatross. Yeah, but um, you can't. I don't know. There's no reason to isolate any of that stuff. It's been a magical year. Maury gets a lot of credit. I, I, I have to, I'll just ask you guys, mm-hmm. I, from a distance, because I hadn't moved here yet until the summer, you know, I got the impression in the offseason that the Rockets missed on all these guys they wanted. So oh, absolutely. We, we talked about it on there the were, podcast. There were flirtations, flirtations, there were like aspirations <laughs> to have Kevin Durant, then after Durant, they wanted Horford, and they also wanted Frank Vogel, right? Yeah. So... I wanted Frank Vogel too, but there's a little bit of retrospective, you know, rose-colored glasses that we're viewing. You know, like, oh my God, Maury's a genius. He did this. He obviously, you know, he had a great plan B, and he re- he rebounded very well. That is one of the keys to being successful is to be flexible. Whether you're talking about being on the court or in the front office, I think, and he's demonstrated he's pretty adept at that. Yeah, it just wasn't the first design, right? You know, he had in mind. So, um, 
getting like, I'm just trying to sort of thematically explain that right. it is a confluence. Like if there's a little bit of happenstance that happened here and you have to respect that, you know, like you don't always, you're not always able to design chemistry. You know, you can't always set up things for chemistry. It's a beautiful thing when it actually happens organically. And with this team, it's, it's been so noticeable and tangible. And you've spoken a lot with Maury in recent weeks. What has he said about this team? Cause I think even the Rockets as they're performing right now have exceeded his expectations. Have no idea. Didn't ask him. Fair point. <laughs> I only spoke with him about musicals. All right. Incessantly. That works. All right. So Rockets right now. <laughs> I don't know how to segue. You seem disappointed that. by that, but I think yeah. it turned out a fantastic. Also, what do you, what, you think he's disappointed? He's like, they're, they're freaking great. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I don't think he's disappointed. I'm just saying like, I, I would think I'm that he's. i over the moon. I think, I think, I think he's got to be surprised. It. I mean, I think that he thought that he had a good team in place this year, but I'm not sure that he so thought I, that they I, would I want to attribute this, but two games I did speak to somebody place. in the organization who, I said this on, on this podcast. I said that I spoke with somebody in the organization who predicted that through 20 games, they were going to go seven and 13. Right. They ended up going 13 and 7. seven. Yeah. So without question... Um, that was a very difficult opening stretch, especially considering the caliber of teams they were playing and also the fact that the majority of the ga- those games were on the road. Seven right. of the first eight or yeah. something like that. I think it's just amazing because D'Antoni now could maybe be coach of the year mm-hmm. after these what, past two stops. And I don't know just, if I disagree with that yeah. as a pick. Top two stops where he just looked like a fool in New York and in L.A. And suddenly it's like you just get this one player and it fixes everything. This is why you, and you mentioned Vogel. I wasn't sure if... With Frank Vogel, would he have made Harden what he is? Like, Frank oh, probably Vogel's, not. Frank Vogel's a defensive coach, and you know, Harden's time. Harden's only thing is offense, mm-hmm. right? It's just it's, it's interesting. Yeah, no. In retrospect, I'm glad to have D'Antoni yeah. here. I just I had some questions about that hire t- as well. You mentioned his you know his recent work history, and then I just was in love with Frank Vogel. Like I think a lot of basketball fans were. So no, I'm pretty happy with the way it worked out. It's it's well exceeded my expectations. I mean, what what would be a successful season here at the end in your minds? I, I think that a Western Conference Finals berth is not out of the question. Uh, and I would be pretty thrilled with that. I think that would be huge because I don't huge. think anyone thought yeah. that, that was a possibility this year. I think I heard an interview this past week on Sports Radio 610, actually, in which Maury said that he thought uh, his team's expectations, his expectations for the team going into the season were to host a first round game. That's sure. it. The Vegas over under was 42 or 46? 43 and a half. Yeah. Uh, that's what I saw. But look, maybe it's one or two more games either way. But, um, you know, that puts you at maybe eighth through sixth seed, maybe. But now they're firmly in third place. Mm-hmm. Clippers are going to take a nosedive in the near future, I figure, with Probably. Blake. Um, Clippers have played well without Blake Griffin. The past they have. Yeah. You're right. So, yeah. so you're right. That was probably harsh. Nosedive is definitely too strong. But <laughs> no. But the Rockets are sitting in a, in, a, in a great spot in a year where you know the bottom of the league is bigger. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like it's. Uh, the worst 10 or worst 12 teams in the league are so bad. The Rockets right now, very exciting team. Uh, three seed right now in the West. I think that we all agree that they can contend for a Western Conference final. Uh, but the big, I guess, story in sports this week coming up is a college football playoff. And uh, Hunter, we know that you are not a college football fan, I guess. No, fan's not fair. I, I, you I, don't know a lot. I, just, I can see that I'm not uh, nearly as knowledgeable as you guys. So that's why we brought in Aaron this week. Aaron knows the stuff in college football, and you know you you insider insider. Just a little more. Can, than can we call him an SEC insider? <laughs> yeah, SEC insider. Yeah, that works, right? Because yeah, he's cool. inside the school, yeah. <laughs> literally the J school yeah. inside the school. Yeah, I mean Mizzou football, great great program, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Have a, I think I think Plenty Baylor. Right about them. I think Mizzou is you know only having a better season than Baylor this year. <laughs> I think that shows how dysfunctional both programs are right now. But uh, the big game's coming up on New Year's Eve: Alabama against Washington. Bama is currently a 15 point favorite. Uh, Ohio State, Clemson uh, taking place after that actually, and Ohio State is a three point favorite against Clemson. 
I'm curious, who do you see coming out of the semifinals and heading into the college football championship game? I think Bama wins over Ohio State in the final. I just Do you think Washington can give Bama a run for their money? No. I think I don't think it'll be close. I don't know. I and maybe this is my like SEC bias, or whatever. <laughs> but I mean, no one is no one has ever really. I I until someone beats Saban, I just won't say that it's going to happen. I just Alabama just in every matchup has looked just exceedingly better than any other team it has played. Well, what about Chris Peterson? I mean, he's a guy that when he's had months to prepare or I guess weeks to prepare for football games, he's come out and done well. I mean, you look at his track record of success at Boise State, knocking off a heavily favored Oklahoma team in the Fiesta Bowl a few years ago. Does that weigh into this game at all, or is it just Nick Saban and Alabama's just a machine? I, I would think it's more just Alabama's just How do you machine. prepare for Alabama? How does any amount of time help you? Hot take. <laughs> well, I mean, you saw a few years ago with Ohio State, they came and punched Alabama in the face, and I think a lot of that had to do, that's terrible with the Joe Mixon reference. Dude, I was going to say, so. that is not great. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. Uh, but, you know, I think, choice of words. I think spread offenses give Alabama a little bit of fits, and I think Washington has probably the best quarterback that Alabama has seen this year. So is that a factor at all? I mean, I think, I, I don't know, that 14-point that spread, that seems a little high to me. That's probably a little high, but I still, I still would if I was betting, I would probably still bet on Bama. I don't know. I guess. To come with the spread? Yeah, I, wow. I, just, I don't, I just don't, I just don't doubt. You heard Saban. it here first, folks. You guys that are degenerate gamblers, that's a lot. We Lock don't know. We don't know anyone that gambles. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, every every week, this guy's got money riding on. I'm not. I'm going to say the listener who I'm pointing to, but I'm pointing to one of my co-hosts. I'll go ahead and uh, you know out myself. <laughs> We've got Louisiana Tech coming on in just a few minutes, and I've got the uh, the over. So let's let's hope that how much? It's a parlay. Oh, how much? Uh, I put fifty on a parlay yeah. to win eighteen hundred. That was that was my impression of your laugh. I liked it. What, what was, was that? Fun of you. I enjoyed it. It was an homage. Yeah, you sounded like a French cook. In I knew so did you. You listen back. We'll run the tape back in a minute. <laughs> no, but eighteen hundred—that's the payout. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to start my own GoFundMe page and then expect you to donate a lot if <laughs> I win. What's <laughs> the rest of the parlay? Uh, I'm pulling it up right now. Oh my god! Give me a second. We have derailed. No, it's fine. It's it's Gamblecast. Good right? pod. But before I pull this up, uh, Ohio State and, Cle- and Clemson. Uh, obviously, uh, Clemson last year making the college football playoff final. They had the experience coming back. Do you think that who who do you favor in that game? I think I guess I pick Ohio State just because I think they've shown to be a really strong team. Um, I mean, Clemson obviously that experience does help them a little bit, uh, but I think that can also always get magnified or. Um, considered too much of a factor in a lot of these things more so than it really is do you think experience in a college playoff playoff game i mean what does that really mean is that much different yeah that's fair i mean both ohio state and clemson have experience but ohio state having that gauntlet this year through the big 10 do you think that helps them or do you think the big 10 is a little bit overrated because i think we're going to learn a lot about the big 10 in the next few weeks as you've got multiple teams uh, you know in in marquee bowl games you've got wisconsin playing uh, western michigan in the cotton bowl then you've got uh, penn state against usc in the uh, the rose bowl And, and and to me i think that I think Western Michigan can give Wisconsin a run for their money, and I don't see Penn State hanging with USC. I agree with those. I, but I do think Michigan is a legitimate That's true. team. And, I mean, that game was great. I'm still bitter about that game. I mean, Because I, I, you had money riding on it? No, I, I, had, I had none. I had none. Uh, but just, gosh. I would have liked to see Michigan. I just don't I like I would have liked Ohio to see State. Michigan get to the playoff. I think that would have been fun. Um, and, yeah, I think it would be more intriguing than Ohio State. But I think Michigan was a legitimate matchup of 
Ohio State, and they beat them. All right, so I finally pulled up the parlay. I have, uh, let's see, Boise State. I hope your family is listening. No, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> I have because uh, they're going to know just how drunk you're going to get <laughs> Christmas. I have Boise State beating Baylor. Uh, I have Boise. You State bet against take, your own you, team. He always bets against his. Oh own yeah, team. and he's made a lot of money betting against Baylor yeah. this year. Yeah, it's a smart move. <laughs> uh, let's no see. loyalty, all pragmatism. No, no, totally spoken not. spoken like a Texans fan too. <laughs> I have the over for Louisiana Tech and Navy. Uh, Louisiana Tech is a powerhouse offense. I have Oklahoma. Uh, as a three-point favorite. Over Sorry, is it a three-game parlay? No, it's like six. That's why it's eighteen hundred. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a long shot. It's fifty bucks. It makes it fun. That's that's that. You yeah, well, you did. You probably did just urinate away fifty dollars. Uh, I don't know. Urinate. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, a bunch of teams involved. Uh, we'll see if it hits. But if so, uh, I'll buy drinks. Next time, you just give me fifty dollars and I'll leave. <laughs> But I have no possibility of an $1,800 return. <laughs> Just like you do now. That's right. <laughs> we'll see who's laughing in a week. Louisiana Tech already has 10 points. Told you. See? <laughs> I told you. <laughs> in the second of the 10-team parlay you've got. All right. So college football playoffs uh, should be you know, very entertaining. But one last piece before we move into uh, the Paul Gallant interview here. Uh, the NBA announced, I, I guess the, the Hall of Fame announced their Hall of Fame candidates uh, for 2017. And there were two names of local interest, uh, Tracy McGrady and also Rudy Tomjanovich. And Kevin, uh, do you think Rudy T gets in? I believe this is the fifth year that he's been eligible. And Tracy McGrady, is he a Hall of Fame caliber player? Well, let me look here. Is Rudy T Rudy T's going in as a coach, I assume? Right. No, he's a terrific coach. I think he's certainly deserving. Two he's titles. Yeah. a player as well, involved in one of the most uh, infamous incidents of violence in the NBA history, which Kermit Washington just absolutely wrecked right. his face. I, I still, you know, still resonates with me, even though I wasn't <clears throat> born for another 20 years. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, certainly as a Houstonian, as a guy who's a big fan of both of those men and what they did for the Houston Rockets, I would like to see them both in. And really what I've been reading has been encouraging. Everybody's saying T-Mac is an absolute lock, which I... That's kind of surprising I wouldn't have thought yeah, that, that's honestly. Like, who would be your NBA comp for T-Mac today? Well, there's no, there aren't shooting guards like that. What do you but, mean? I mean, like, so he was a great scorer on a really bad team for most of his career. But that, I don't know. I think he had some talent on his team. So well, he could just never get past the first also, round. Also, hold on, hold on. You but know, but then should, why should it be Hall of Famer then? Do you, so, do you base your postseason why. success on the Hall of Fame? No, but I this think, is why. I, the NBA yeah, Hall no, of Fame, the NBA no. Hall of Fame is very different. It's just pro basketball Hall of Fame, too. Excuse me. But the... You know, the Basketball Hall of Fame does voting and it elects players very differently than MLB, right? So MLB, we almost have these benchmarks, right? Certain numbers, mm-hmm. certain championships, eras. In the NBA, those guys get in based on sort of the spirit of it. You know, do these guys represent Impact. their time? I mean, Yao league? Ming. I, I don't know that his career indicated that he should have been a Hall of Fame. He was actually, actually, no, actually, right? that's a great, no, that's a great example. Play. Do you know why? Also, hot take, get ready. You know, all these Hall of Fames are also just explicitly promotional. They don't actually mean anything. You know, let's be honest. Just like any awards show, right? There's the Golden Globes. They mean Glo- what they mean. Yeah, it's not. But like there's the Golden Globes. There's the Emmys. There's the Oscars. I mean, it's all I've heard of BS. <laughs> but it's all BS. I mean, it's all just to promote the industry. This is another way for the NBA to promote itself is my point. And there's no harm in letting Tracy McGrady in, even like putting him on the ballot, right? It's all... Very good PR. It harkens back to... like it, it allows them to roll out all this footage of him and play all this cool stuff on NBA TV. So I don't actually think there's too much merit in really debating like who gets to be in the NBA Hall of Fame and who does not get to be in the NBA Hall of Fame. So is it good for the Rockets organization to have those guys go in? Of course. What do you mean? It's Why? good for the Rockets fans. 
Wait, yeah. why? But why would it not be good for them to go in? It's just a question. I mean, I mean, I guess it is. Is it good to breathe oxygen? What do you does, mean? Does, like, it, <laughs> does it help? Does it help the the view of? The I don't think franchise give a about who's in the Hall of Fame and who's not on a team. Yeah. So I don't think that it has any impact in that sense, but I think it's great for energizing a fan base, for giving them something to cling on to historically. That's terrific. So I don't know, does it impact play on the court? Probably not. Well, but does obviously. it have an impact? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Rudy T would mean a lot more than T-Mac would. For, for sure. Because sure, sure. T-Mac is like, I don't know what people would assign him. To. The Magic were probably his best years, right? So. Yeah. He was drafted by what's wrong. Although, yeah, although, his, best, although, his, although his best moment came with the Absolutely. Rockets. Absolutely. Right? It's the San Antonio Spurs. Yep. Then the Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> Groan. But, but yeah, you can cut that question out. That was ridiculous. Is it going to be good for the Rockets to have two Hall of Fame players? Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, the Yankees are like, we have too many in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> you know, we're, we, we have too many fan tributes. Well, speaking yeah. of uh, Major League Baseball, uh, Jeff Bagwell is currently leading a lot of the Hall of Fame balloting right now. He's got he like, is? Yeah. I believe... Uh, yeah, I, I don't read the news. I believe after 80% of... You just write the after news. After 80 ballots that have been cast so far that have been made public, he's tra- tracking at around 91%. Who's his competition this year? <sighs> Let's see. He's got ninety-one uh, percent. Meaning, so you need what? What does he, he get? Seventy-five. 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 And last year he fell short. I believe he was at seventy-one percent. That's, oh, that's so weird. But I so do not think. I do not see him as a Hall of Famer. He's four hundred plus career homers, right? Yeah. And I, I think he's going to wasn't get in a good this year. fielder. And also wasn't on winning teams. I mean, obviously there was well, the, no, the one the, the one run. Here's the deal. So the Astros made the playoffs. I believe five or six times while he was an Astro, but he struggled mightily in the playoffs. I believe his batting average is below 200 during the playoffs, but that's so the same so, thing with so it's Craig a weak year. Who's his competition? Is this good for the Rockets if he gets in? <laughs> All right. So if you look at the uh, the Hall of Fame ballot right now, you've got names like Jeff Bagwell, Tim Raines, Trevor Hoffman, Kurt Schilling, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, Mike Messina, uh, Fred McGriff, uh, Gary Sheffield, Billy. Fred Wagner. McGriff has better McGriff's numbers than than Bagwell actually, and for sure. One name that I think. I would like to see go on as a first-year candidate, Pudge Rodriguez, who I think is probably one of the greatest catchers in baseball history. Also another first-year candidate, Manny Ramirez, Vlad Guerrero, uh, Jorge Posada is not going to get much. Tim Wakefield, I don't but think that's he's going to get lot, much. Those but are a lot of guys that we, I feel like, Austin, like we expect those guys that you just named, the, 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 the newest ones, Manny, Vlad, who else was Does it? Manny get in? Yeah. With, with yeah. steroids? Oh, yeah. But I, I will say that if you look at the early returns on the ballots, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds are ac- actually tracking upward and the reason why so is weird yeah i think part of the reason why is you know bud Selig going in the hall of fame i think that a lot of people are starting to realize that you know if if, if we're going to allow bud Selig to go in after essentially allowing the steroid error to happen sanctioning yeah i i think some voters have actually come out and written articles saying you know if, if we're going to allow Selig in then even though i haven't voted for guys like bonds and clemens in the past i'm going to do so now and i mean whether you agree on, on if they did steroids or not, Bonds was arguably one of the greatest hitters of our generation. Uh, you know, especially prior to the steroid, prior to him bulking up when steroids. Uh, he, he was still a Hall of Fame caliber player. Roger Clemens, clearly a Hall of Fame caliber pitcher. But does steroids mean anything to you when it comes to electing a ballot? I mean, because you have to look at the era they play in. And if they were able to excel in an era in which everybody was using steroids, does that make them Hall of Fame caliber player, you can hold that against them. I heard the Cardinals beat writer Derek Gould uh, say once that he would vote for guys that did steroids if they had on their plaque a little asterisk that just said they did steroids. Interesting. I, I mean, I don't know. I think, like you said, like all those guys are doing it, basically. So 
if the best hitters distinguish themselves against pitchers who are also juicing, is it? Here's a quote. Do they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? PED outrage is mostly self-righteous historical revisionism meant to mythologize an idealistic time that was not, in fact, any better or worse than right now. That's from, I don't know how to say his last name. Are you quoting yourself? No, it's Will Leitch. Is it Leitch? Say his name? Leitch, I think. Leitch. Leitch. You mean, thank you. Yeah. Sports on Earth. Yes, there you go. That's the one. Interesting. So, yeah, uh, Hall of Fame Hall of Fame inductees will be announced by Major League Baseball in, uh, I believe, mid-January. I believe it's the 17th or 18th. So, Hopefully, the Astros will have uh, good news with Jeff Bagwell going into the Hall of Fame. I think that would be great for the city to have both Bagwell and Biggio in the Hall and of Fame. Yeah. And, and for the Rockets. And for the Rockets. Wait, yeah. I have a question about Bagwell. Yep. As guys that definitely followed him more closely than I did. What is... He's at, you said 91%? That's what it's trending at? Why What's the why the change? Why is he... like? I don't really get it, is my point. You know, I if, think there, that, if there are these usually yeah. standard benchmarks, whether it's 500 home runs, why is it that right now there's this swell of... Uh, I think a little bit has to do with steroid era. Um, although he was never implicated in you know, the Mitchell Report using steroids, I think his name has always been associated with that era and whether or not he was clean. So uh, I, I think it's part of guys like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens tracking upward. I think it has to do with voters saying, all right, you know, I'm not going to hold that against them. I, I, I don't know that Bagwell is a Hall of Fame caliber player. I, you know, I thought Biggio, in my opinion, was that type of caliber player. But... Bagwell, I always thought, was a great baseball player. I think he made, what, four all-star teams. He had a great MVP season in 1994. Oh, that's not so many, though. But I, I think he's a I fringe Hall of Fame Benilla player. Bobby made an all-star game. Like, you know, it's not, Bobby Benilla is still getting paid, like, what, $1.8 a year yes. by the Mets? Yeah. All, yeah, it's all of my family's season ticket money. Um, <laughs> Thank so, you, Bernie Madoff. So, so then, uh, I'm just thinking out loud. I feel like, how about this for an argument? Hot take. I think that... Having Jeff Bagwell get in, I kind of I feel like it waters down the rest of the group, not the group of, of people that could be elected. I'm saying it waters down the hall a little bit. Why not? Does that, it? That, that's why I'm saying it's very. It sounds very strange to me that he has 91 percent approval right now. I'm not. I, don't, I feel like he brings the whole group down with 400 whatever it is home runs. Again, I, how? What? Where? Um, if you have a chance, Austin, look it up. What in what year did he finish highest in the MVP voting? Well, 1994 when he won the MVP. And that goes to show I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he also he also won the Rookie of the Year. He won the Gold Glove only once, uh, and he was MLB Player of the Year once. He was a four-time All-Star, won three Silver Slugger Awards. Are those credentials good enough for Hall of Fame? I'm not sure they are, but I think he's going to get in this year. We'll see. But... Enough, enough baseball talk. We'll wait till uh, plenty of we'll, we'll wait until pitchers and catchers report in February, and then Kevin's gonna love that segment. I'll be gone. <laughs> Vacation. But uh, in just a few moments, we're going to have Paul Galan from Sports Radio 610. Paul G. To discuss the Houston Texans, also uh, Tom Savage and uh, Brock Osweiler, and also why so many Syracuse University grads work at Sports Radio 610. To me, that's just, it's crazy, but a lot of them are there. Uh, but, you know, Kevin, it, it's Christmas time. New Year's is coming up just around the corner. And uh, if, if you're throwing a New Year's party, you know, to me, you need, Good desserts. Yeah, well, we actually just heard from uh, our old, uh, well, not old, he's still currently employed by us, but our, our co-host on vacation, Jeremy Paxson, over at Café du Monde, as they say. Café du Monde? I think is how you pronounce it. Do they, do they say it like that? Just like that. It's a lot of nose and a lot of condescension, but um, he was trying them. He said the beignets were not as good there as they are at We Desserts. That's a strong take. That is about as strong uh, as endorsement uh, as I you mean, can Café du Monde is like world famous for their beignets. Literally. So We is better. 
without question. Well, that's according to according Jeremy. Weed is better. Weed desserts, better beignets. They, they serve them on weekends. It's like Friday, Saturday. They have beignet times. You can call. Basically, call Weed Desserts. OUI Desserts, 3411 Kirby. They've got everything that's delicious that's ever been made. You just request that's it. That's ever been made. Do they have, do they have Christmas specials? Yeah, they absolutely do. And they're making, I mean, they're making, uh, what do they called? Bruce, no, Bruce Genoa. F me. Bruce de Noel's? Is yeah. that how you say it? It's like a log. Yeah, exactly. It's like a Christmas log. I was not familiar with this until they actually started making them and showing them to me. They look You eat the log, then you make the log the next day. Exactly right. So that's a ringing endorsement there from Hunter as well. So we desserts, 3411 Kirby. Tell Penny and Jen that the guys at the Weekly Brew sent you by. You get 10% off of your order. We certainly endorse them, and we hope you you love them as much as we do. Yeah, so go check them out this next week as you prepare for your uh, New Year's Eve parties coming up and also for your watch parties for the college football playoffs. But uh, if you want to follow our work, you can check us out on social media. Just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, you can look at our website, weeklybrewcast.com. But uh, joining us now uh, in just a few moments is Paul Galan from Sports Radio 610. So it's without further ado, it's time to sit back, relax, be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew podcast is Paul Gallant, host of Gallant at Night on Sports Radio 610 and Sports Zone on Filter on Cube 57. And Paul, we appreciate you for joining us this week on the show. And before we jump into the Rockets and Texans, I know that you're a Syracuse grad and Mike Meltzer is one as well. And, you know, if we even want to throw Nick Wright in that same category, what is it about Syracuse grads and Sports Radio 610? Yeah, it's a great question. We actually had Howard Jen, who was working with, I think, Fox 26 and CSN Houston. He also had a little time where he was working at Sports Radio 610, and he went to Syracuse, too. Um, I don't, I don't want to sound like a complete douche and, and, and talk about how Syracuse <laughs> is this great broadcasting university, but I will say it is, and... Um, I, I don't know what it is. I, I know that I was the second person to come here, and what's crazy is when I was first looking for a job, the first two people that I called and talked on the phone with for like an hour for getting trying to get advice, the first person I talked to was Nick. The second person I talked to was Mike. And it's crazy that I was working with both of them at the same time for about a two-year stretch. And I consider both of them like brothers. Um, it's I, I, I don't know what it is. I, I, I hope that we don't come across as like too out of towny. <laughs> I mean, now that I've been here five years, I, I like to think that I that I at least somewhat seem like I live here, and uh, I really like it here. So I, I don't know what it is about our station, Syracuse grads. I, I would like to say, though, I feel that between Mike and I that um, we are Houstonians now. Full clarity for our listeners right now. We are recording the segment prior to the Texans game on Saturday, and you know, obviously, the big story this past week has been the you know the quarterback controversy with the Texans and whether or not Bill O'Brien should have pulled the plug earlier on Brock Osweiler, you know, after a dismal season. And you had an interesting tweet last week on Tom Savage suggesting that quote you can't judge a quarterback until there is at least three games of you know film on or tape on film. Uh, there were more than three games of tape on Brock Osweiler from his time with the Broncos. And how did Bill O'Brien and Rick Smith like not watch film or miss him so badly? See, this is this is where we are, and I'm not going to try to sound like a Texas apologist here. I'm not. I'm not trying to, but I, I might come off as it anyway. I think it's really hard to find quarterbacks in this league. I really do. And when you're trying to put a guy who was in Gary Kubiak's quarterback-friendly offense into one where he makes all of the decisions. And on top of that, you're dealing with a guy who's six foot eight, awkward, and can't make all those same throws that he was making with the Broncos last year. 
I, I, I feel like if you watch the tape, it did look like there was some potential with Osweiler. I wasn't the biggest fan, I'll be totally honest. And I, and at the time of the signing, I said, this is an okay risk. We'll see what ends up happening. It turned out to be a bad risk. I don't think that they're that hamstrung by the contract that they gave him. But I think when it comes to looking at a quarterback, it's, it's really difficult to determine whether or not a guy who's in another system would work in your system. This isn't me making excuses. I mean, he's clearly been a total failure. He's been the worst quarterback in the NFL. And he's had me questioning my passion for football many points <laughs> this year really and and but they there was one thing that they liked about him is that he stands in the pocket and that he was tough in the pocket i will at least say he was he was decent at that and he was decent at escaping the rush and he's shown that over the course of the year there have been a couple of times where he's evaded sex that's the one thing that i think he actually has done a pretty good job of. but unfortunately his accuracy is just awful and there's no fixing that and for whatever reason, it just wasn't the same issue that it was with the Broncos the year before. They switched to Peyton Manning, I think, largely because of the fact that more players in the locker room respected Peyton Manning, just because Peyton bleeping Manning. Like, where, where, of course, you're going to look at Peyton Manning and you're going to think to yourself, okay, this guy gives us a better chance to win, even if he is basically a fossil and his arm doesn't even work anymore. So when it comes to Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien, they clearly messed up here. And I think it's easy to, to, to point at them and, and say, wow, like, these guys have no idea what they're doing. But I think that much like with some of Bill O'Brien's game management decisions, we, we just see this every single Sunday. We get frustrated with him. We're like, oh, my God, this guy doesn't know what he's doing out there. I think this is a league-wide problem, both for management decisions and for evaluating quarterbacks. It, it's tough to find one. And it sucks when it ends up working out the way that it has for Brock Oswald. I mean, it's been dumpster fire. It's been... It's been just awful, and that it took them this long. One of the things I was talking about on my show Tuesday night was, when was the appropriate time to say, okay, Brock, we, we've got to take you either out of a game or we're going to take you out for a game or we just got to put you to the side for a little bit. And it's been so difficult to, I think, determine that over the course of this year just because of the fact that they've won games, even though he's been bad. And I was thinking probably the most appropriate time to do it would have been after the victory over the Colts and then after the loss of the Broncos. If you put those two games together, Osweiler was terrible except for about two throws in the last seven, eight minutes of that ridiculous comeback victory that they had over the Colts. I mean, he just wasn't good. So uh, to your original question, sorry getting off on the tangent, (laughs) they should have done a better job. They should be better at evaluating quarterbacks, and they failed here. So – I, I can't say, oh, well, I mean, you know, everyone does this. Everyone does it, and it pans out this badly. Um, but I do think that there are a lot of people around the NFL that have no idea when it comes to what they're looking for in a quarterback. So following this switch, obviously a quarterback, which was successful for them, uh, you talked about it kind of re-energizing you, which it has me as well. Um, there's been a lot of fan uh, uh, talk about it. I was more curious of the way the team would respond, and characteristically most of them were boring, had non-responses, kind of towed the line and said, you know, it's a coach's decision, whatever. But Ryan Griffin had something I thought was interesting. You know, he said it was just something different, and I think he really felt that in the crowd as well, and I think we just rallied around that. And so I'm, I'm curious, that's, that's a very small kernel of something, but do you think that it indicates maybe the players are as thrilled as the fans about this switch at quarterback? I, I think so. I mean, all you had to see was just DeAndre Hopkins' new energy level when Savage came into the game and Savage was throwing passes his way. He looked like a totally different player. One of the things that's difficult on these Mondays where we go into the locker room, and I was right in front of Ryan Griffin when he said all those things, is that recently most of the players, they just don't stand around in the locker room on Mondays because they talk to, player, they talk to reporters and media 
after the game. So Griffin was the only guy on the offense that actually contributes to the offense on a regular basis that was in the locker room that day. I mean, we saw Brock Osweiler in there, but there's some, you know, you want to, you only can talk to a guy, I think like twice a week or something like that. Maybe it's once a week. I'm not exactly sure how it works because I'm not in there every single day. I'm usually just there on Mondays. But Osweiler was the only other guy on the offense that I remember being in the locker room. He was by himself, a little dejected. And you don't really blame him, though he has handled it pretty well thus far. But um, to Griffin saying that, yeah, I, 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 there is a new sense of energy. And I remember some other times in the locker room on Mondays that you could see the entire defense slinking in the corner, just sitting in, and staring <laughs> at all of us. Maybe they didn't like us, or maybe they were thinking to themselves, you know, the reason that all these questions are being asked today are 100% on the offense. And I think that there's something to be said that it didn't blow up the way that, you know, an offensive defense, an offense versus defense kind of civil war, like we just saw Sunday with the Denver Broncos. I mean, the Broncos lose to the Patriots 16-3, and uh, um, uh, Russell Okung is speaking up after the game because Jerry Kubiak says, well, does anyone want to address the team and keep the lead point? No, bro, you don't get to talk. Your offensive line, the offensive line is in garbage this year. And then it led to a big almost squad between the offensive line and the defensive backs. And you kind of wonder how would that have gone if the defensive backs fought offensive line? Probably horribly. But that has not happened yet with the Texans. And I, I think that they actually made the switch. I think now we have relieved the possibility of that happening. I got to say, though, I, I, there are a lot of moments, especially during the, the, the three losses in a row, where I thought to myself, you know, I, I, I don't see how the defense just sits back here and is accepting this and taking this. Maybe they're just so used to it. Maybe it's some sort of Stockholm syndrome because of all the mediocre quarterback play you know, going all the way back to 2013. I don't know what it is, but I'm at least glad that, that a situation like that didn't blow up. And to your original question, a lot more energy, I think, from a guy like Ryan Griffin, who's obviously worked with Tom Savage a whole lot on the scout team and, and as, a, as a backup. But I think also the fact that you know, DeAndre Hopkins is re-engaged. That was the biggest development from, I think, Sunday's game. I think it's funny you mentioned that, you know, you, you questioned your passion for football because I felt the same way. I mean, I was just overcome with, like, this sense of ennui and fatalism about the Texans, and it wasn't like I wasn't going to watch, but it was like I wasn't invested and wasn't interested. And, I, you know, obviously you're in touch with uh, with fans, probably even more so than we are as a podcast, being on the radio and so forth. What's been the fallout from the fans in regards to this? Are they re-energized like we are? And how much does that actually impact the team itself? That's the sense that I get, too. I mean, you heard it in the crowd. I, I've never heard a standing ovation for a guy who's barely played to the extent that Tom Savage got when he came in for Osweiler. I, I think that was just everyone saying, okay, it's about sleeping time. And he came in, the fan energy is definitely back. I, I, I think a lot of people now at least think to themselves, well, we're probably not going to go to a Super Bowl. I don't know if the defense is able to make enough plays to drag the Texans and this offense. I'm not really sure what it's going to be like the next couple of weeks to a Super Bowl. But I think that there's just a sense of unknown again. It's like pressing the reset button again. But we do have to remember, we've done this a couple of times before. So I would encourage anyone who might be feeling a little bit excited right now to think back about the last couple of times that a backup has come in and succeeded specifically. Let's just take a look at what Case Keenum did his first game against the Chiefs and that first half against the Indianapolis Colts in that primetime Sunday night game. I mean, I remember I was 
jacked up. I, I was super excited watching that. And then the second half happened, they didn't do anything. And the next couple of games happened, and they didn't do anything. And, you know, with Ryan Mallett, too. Ryan Mallett looked pretty good against the Cleveland Browns, and he busted his pectoral the next week. I don't know, like trying to trying to get some games going on or something like that. And, and he, doesn't, he can't even throw the football against the Bengals. So then you have to wait an entire offseason. The hope is like, oh, well, maybe Ryan Mallett can beat the guy. And then he couldn't beat up Brian Hoyer. So it, it's, it's nice to have – it's nice to not know what a guy's ceiling is. And we knew that Brock Osweiler's ceiling was, was like, falling on him. <laughs> we were watching him, and with Savage, I think there's just a, okay, well, maybe this could work out really well. But I, I think we've got to be honest with ourselves. There's a reason that this guy, you know, was – an afterthought in NFL drafts, and even though Gil Brandt's comparing him to a Troy Aikman, and and even though Charlie Casserly is comparing him to Jimmy Garoppolo earlier this year, I I think we got to sit back, wait, give it a couple of games before we get excited. I will say though, he looked pretty good in the pocket, especially in that game against the Jaguars. And I think the weirdest thing about the whole matter was like he, I I. This is this is weird to say, but uh, you know, for all those 420 enthusiasts that might be listening to the show, <laughs> like you look like you're coked up in the pocket. Like I, I've never seen a guy <laughs> that just like seems so blissfully unaware of anything happening around him. I don't I, I don't know how I don't know how anyone could do that at the NFL level. I don't know if I was back there with the center, I would be freaking out with all these giant humans running around. But he was calm and. That's something you can't teach. I know there's been some concern over, like, well, maybe that will get him hurt. It did get him hurt. He did bust his clavicle um, last year. And there's concern that maybe he gets injured or something like that, and we're right back where we were. But there's something to build on, I think, with Savage. Uh, but, again, I would just say, like, eh, let's put the brakes a little bit in terms of saying this guy's the next guy for this team. Let's hope that he has some success. But, you know, my question when it comes to quarterbacks is it doesn't seem like guys that had necessarily great careers in college necessarily translate to good NFL quarterbacks. And I'm curious, why is that the case? Is it because of, you know, the spread offenses that we, you know, so often see at the college game? I mean, I'm looking back. uh, I'm a Baylor grad, and I look at Bryce Petty, who this past year said that he learned more from, you know, more on reading defenses on playing Madden than he did, you know, actually playing quarterback at Baylor. Uh, you know, what is it about college quarterbacks just not translating to the NFL in recent years? It seems like it's more of a problem in the last five, six, seven years than it was, you know, say during the, you know, Dan Marino era, you know, what, what has changed? I think, I think the systems have dumbed it down so much for the quarterbacks that there's really not a whole lot of um, intricacy to these offenses. Like there's, there's a couple of options up there. You read the defense in front of you, and they have these crazy wonky signs on the sideline in some of these spread offenses, and, and the quarterback only has to make a couple of reads. But, you know, when you're going up against NFL-level defenses, they're going to throw a lot more um, – they're just going to throw really, really different looks your way. They're going to disguise things a whole lot better. And I, I think there are a lot of guys who just aren't able to make those kind of reads. And, and, and also – I, I think a lot of these spread systems are basically designed where there's going to be at least one route that's super wide open. I mean, when you have four or five wide receivers going up against four or five, six, seven defensive backs at the college level, I feel like the the fourth and the fifth receiver are going to be much better than the fourth and the fifth defensive back 
And I think that there's a lot more just of a disparity in matchups at the college level, too, that makes it a little bit easier. But, you know, once you get to the NFL, all of these cornerbacks are pretty good. And all of these defenses can hide what their hand is a lot better. And, yeah, I, 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 I don't – I don't know that that can actually be brought to the college level so that these guys are more prepared. But then you also factor in that the CBA that the NFL is currently under has restricted off-season time that these guys have to pick up a system. Then it's like a perfect storm for a, a young quarterback coming into the league. And these spread offenses aren't helping. I don't know if you saw this, but Neil Greenberg uh, in the Washington Post wrote Monday that uh, an article titled, It's Time to Reconsider Texans Coach Bill O'Brien as a Quarterback Guru. And the article is even less diplomatic than the title. He basically trashes him. He talks about Christian Hackenberg and the lack of success he's had with the Jets and so forth. I think Bill O'Brien does have a reputation that maybe it's fading for being you know, an offensive mastermind, a quarterback guru, you know, this quarterback whisperer and so forth. Uh, has what we've seen so far kind of discredited that entirely? That's an interesting question. I, I, I Maybe that label was given to him unfairly. I, I think when we were first talking about his success at the college level, it was that he got Christian Hackenberg to succeed as a freshman, and more importantly, that he got Matt McGloin, who was an afterthought at the college level. And Mike Meltzer knows a whole lot more about Big Ten football than me because he actually watches it on a regular basis. I, I, I tend to avert my eyes. The Big Ten kind of bores me. But um, <laughs> he, he, he told me that McGloin was like one of the worst quarterbacks in that conference. And O'Brien was able to turn him into something better than he wasn't. I don't know if it was the offense. I don't know if it was O'Brien's coaching. I don't, know, I don't know what it was. But whatever it was, he was able to make things work out. And – I haven't read the article, but I will say that given the fact that he has worked with as many quarterbacks as he has over the last couple of years, I know that people aren't the biggest Bill O'Brien fans right now, but he has won consistently despite having, what are we on, quarterback 10, quarterback 11 now? I'm not even sure. I've, I've, I've lost count. And I think last year, bringing in T.J. Yates and Brandon Whedon essentially off the street to play quarterback, and to get successful performances from both of them in key games down the stretch. I, I, I understand that some people may be looking at him, they're like, well, he can't coach up a young quarterback. Well, maybe no one can really coach up young quarterbacks. Jared Goff looks terrible this year, and there's a reason that they are waiting so long to put him in there. Carson Wentz has had a severe regression after the first couple of games this year. I, I, I think coaching quarterbacks is extremely difficult, and like, I'm a, I'll admit, I'm a, little, I'm a little biased with Bill O'Brien because I really enjoy Bill O'Brien as a human being. I know that might not come across that way in some of the press conferences that O'Brien <laughs> has on Monday where like, we, we have like, awkward like, exchanges on questions and stuff. But um, I, I don't know. There's, there, there's, there's part of me that's always going to give O'Brien a little, maybe a little more benefit of the doubt than I should. So I'm just going to be open and honest with that. However, I, I will say maybe the quarterback guru was unfairly given to him. Um, I, I do think that there are some weird play-calling decisions that he makes on a regular basis. It's like the fade on, on fourth and one. And he even said after the game, that was a terrible call. Yeah, fades are terrible. But, but everyone, needs to, everyone needs to stop throwing fucking fades. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, t- I'm tired of, of seeing <laughs> fades. They're, they're the worst play. They almost never work. Uh, there are higher percentage plays than that. I, I think going towards the middle of the field is, is a better idea. Anyway, um, but when, when, when it comes to O'Brien and being a quarterback guru, I, I, I think, yeah, I, I think we should move on from that. I, I, I mean, 
there's one thing in, in, in when it comes to evaluating a quarterback, and maybe you know maybe we're going to end up giving Bill O'Brien credit for being able to successfully evaluate that Tom Savage was something that really was a um, guy with a lot of potential that they found later in the draft. And I mean, if you can find a quarterback in the fourth round, I mean, holy smokes! But again, we we, we have to wait on that. And this this opinion could totally change. This this narrative about O'Brien could totally change. I I will say right now. When it comes to coaching up young quarterbacks uh, with Ryan Mallett, uh, with Osweiler, with guys who have had a little bit of experience at the NFL level, he has failed. But I think he has also found ways to get veteran quarterbacks that maybe aren't particularly good, like Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick looked decent with the Texans, and he had a pretty good year last year. Jesse's fallen apart since then, but something had to happen there where Fitzpatrick was able to look the way that he has the last couple, the, the, the two years before. And although the first half, you know, with the Texans, there are some issues as well. Um, I, I'll, I think that I think the system of his, it works with some quarterbacks and it doesn't work with other quarterbacks, and there have been so many guys in and out, in and out, in and out. It's, it's, it's impossible to know just how well he can coach these quarterbacks up. But I think we do know right now that definitively he has had some serious issues in getting young quarterbacks up to speed. So, it, the quarterback guru label, I think we should remove it from him, but I think it's also open for further consideration if he's able to make this Tom Savage thing work out. You know, I want to go back to something you said. You said it's a good feeling not to know a guy's ceiling, and I agree with you, actually, because I feel like we did have a pretty concrete idea of what Osweiler's ceiling was. It was very low, at least from based on what we've seen this season here. But, you know, it's interesting because a lot of the talk about the Texans before this season, before we really saw Osweiler in action, was that this team is one good or great quarterback away from being something pretty special. And obviously there have been some injuries um, throughout the season that maybe might change that trajectory as well. But I think Osweiler, in a lot of, a lot of ways, concretely determined the Texans and ceiling with Savage under center. Granted, we don't know a lot about him, but does the the team ceiling improve with Savage there? Ah, uh, I mean, I think. I mean, here's the thing: they they no longer have the worst quarterback in the NFL playing for them. So yeah, I think it does. I don't know how much it does. I I, I think it's all about how you individually interpret the, the AFC right now. I don't think anyone's beating New England right now. I just don't feel that confident in Kansas City after the way that they blew it against the Tennessee Titans last Sunday. I think that the Oakland Raiders can be had. I mean, Brock Osweiler played fairly well in that game, but, you know, if you're going to play the Raiders, you're going to play them at home if, if you play them in the first round of the playoffs. If you play the Chiefs, you're going to play them at home, and you beat them earlier this year at home somehow. Big question is, I mean, can you just not have takeaways that the Chiefs really just feast off of? Can you not turn the football over? Um, the Chiefs need that, and they will hurt you too with that with – that, Really fast, exciting to watch, terrible human being Tyree Killer there. Uh, some of the other teams that they might end up playing the first round of the playoffs, could they beat Baltimore? Baltimore in that offense that really can't score points? I, I, I think they'd have a shot if they ended up playing Baltimore. Um, now, I'm not 100% sure that that's going to happen because it seems like the team that comes out of the AFC North is going to be the division winner. So that's either going to be Pittsburgh or Baltimore. And if Texans play Pittsburgh, which wouldn't happen until the AFC Championship game because that would be another divisional winner, um, I don't think they would win that game either. But I think what we're what we're asking ourselves is, can the Texans beat one of the wild card teams? I think probably going to be either the Raiders, the Chiefs, or the Miami Dolphins. I think we can stick a fork in the Broncos. And the Broncos might be, or excuse me, not the Broncos, the Dolphins might be operating with Matt Moore at quarterback the first week of the playoffs. I, I think the Texans could beat the Dolphins with Matt Moore at quarterback, and I think the Dolphins are a soft team. I think they're a soft organization. I think that team can be had. 
So I, I, I think if, if Osweiler's out, you have a much better chance to win in the first round of the playoffs than you would have if Osweiler was the quarterback. Because I think with Osweiler at quarterback, we're going to see another repeat of Brian Hoyt. Oh, gosh, that would just be a nightmare if, if that was the case. Oh, <laughs> God, yeah. No, oh, yeah. Dude, I, 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 I was watching... I was watching Making a Murderer in the second half of the Texans Chiefs playoff game last year <laughs> in the press box. Like it was that, it was that bad. Like midway through the third quarter, you knew it was over. Uh, and especially after the Watt Cat failure. I mean, a- after that point, you were, <laughs> we were all checked out, and I was just like, "Oh man, I'm gonna be here until I'm gonna be here another three and a half, four hours during the post game show." <laughs> We're kind of switching gears here for just a second. Uh, you saw Rogue One. You were a huge fan of it, at least on Twitter. I haven't seen it yet. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Kevin, on the other hand, saw it on Monday night said it was atrocious. Who do I believe? Do I believe you or do I believe Kevin? All right. Well, <laughs> once again, I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. So they could have put Lando and Han Solo, like, just hammered at a bar talking about, like, trying to, like, get in Princess Leia's pants for, like, two and a half hours and, like, progressively get drunker and drunker to the point where they're not even saying words anymore. And I still would have loved it. So there's that. I, I, I'll admit. I, I, and I think the beginning of the movie, I think the beginning of the movie was a little slow. I, I think if you were to compare the, um, if you were to compare Rogue One with The Force Awakens, the characters are a lot shallower. Um, the, the, the characters in The Force Awakens, like the chemistry that you see between Rey and Finn, like there's, there's nothing even close to that. In fact, probably the best character in Rogue One from a, oh, I enjoy this character, is a droid, which is yes. uh, <laughs> definitely interesting. But I, I think <laughs> once the movie starts going and you get to see some faces that are from the original trilogy, which they somehow found a way to CGI into this movie, and it doesn't look that jarring when they no. do it. Like, oh, I disagree. See, see, you, 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 so you were distracted by the cgi I was so taken out by the CGI. I thought it was, I mean, I thought it was well done up to the capabilities we have, but I don't think the capabilities we have are enough to make it even remotely realistic or to flow well in that scenario. Every time Tarkin's on screen, I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> I, that's, first, I thought that to myself, but then I heard Grandma Tarkin's voice, and I was like, oh, my God, it's Grandma Tarkin. <laughs> so I geeked out, totally. I, I, uh, um, it's weird watching it back, because I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan, too, and I'm, I'm watching Grandma Tarkin, and I'm thinking to myself, this is, this is Tywin Lannister. Like, they, they, yes. they, they look fairly similar. Same demeanor, same kind of voice, ruthless, cold. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 that, that, that part for me was fun. I, I think uh, the way that it ended was, I think, appropriate. I, 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 I like that it basically goes right into A New Hope at the very end of it. Um, I thought that Ben Mendelsohn, who I am a huge fan of, I don't know if you guys have seen the Netflix show Bloodline. If you haven't, I, I think it's a, it's a really compelling watch. Um, Mendelssohn's okay. fantastic in that. I thought Mendelssohn was a pretty compelling villain. Uh, and, you know, they have, they, have, they have Darth Vader come in, and, and uh, that, that line that he drops, uh, don't choke on your own aspirations. That, that was amazing. Uh, you didn't like it either. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I don't know what to tell you, bro. 
I don't know what to tell you. I loved it. Yes, I think I think it was all kind of um, flashy, like those moments of connection with the original trilogy where people kind of stand up and clap in the theater. But I don't think that if you watch it back, it has any real substance to it. So, so what I'm getting from this is if you're already a big fan of Star Wars, definitely go see it. There are certainly moments for you. If you're not, if you're not in the mythology as deeply as some people are, it might not be enjoyable to you. So that's that's our official consensus, I think. If you're, not, if you're not in the mythology, if you're not in the mythology, like what's wrong with you? Obviously, you're a nerd if you're not into the Star Wars mythology. <laughs> well, Paul, it is an absolute pleasure, man. We loved having you on. We think that you're a terrific follow on Twitter, and we certainly recommend all of our listeners follow you as well because they can get all the best sports and uh, Rogue One updates if you're if you're into that sort of thing. So, where can they find you, man? Uh, I'm 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 at Galant says every now and then there might be a tweet or two which you probably think to yourself like when all right does Paul know how to spell or uh, speak with uh, correct grammar <laughs> so uh, get beyond get if you can get past that and you can get past the occasional uh, mildly uh, sexually suggested tweet which um, <laughs> I was in the press conference room for 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 Bill O'Brien after the game on Sunday and when Savage had come in I I just tweeted pants tent. And, and Brian T. Smith came over to me, and he's like, did you really tweet pants tent in the middle of the game? And I was like, Madras, I did. But I, I felt a little self-conscious when he came up to me asking. I was like, oh, shoot, should I be worrying about what I'm putting out there? But, uh, yeah, um, sometimes you'll see in the middle of Texas games me recapping how there's a per- there was a person sitting in front of us uh, clipping his toenails. I don't know why he did that. Uh, that was very bizarre and weird and strange, but uh, it happened, and we did a live play-by-play of it. So, uh, yeah, at Galant says, my Facebook page, facebook.com slash paulgalantsport, Snapchat and Instagram at paulgalant. And uh, uh, thanks for having me on, guys. It's a lot of fun. The sort of content commentary you can only get from Paul Galant. Man, we appreciate it so much. I mean, have a good week. Merry Christmas to you. No problem. Let's do this again. Closing time. Again, this is episode 74 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. And Kevin, uh, Paul Galanch has joined us talking everything from Rogue One to the Texans and also Syracuse and how there are so many Syracuse grads working here in Houston. Uh, what did you think of the interview from Paula G? I had no issue with his Texans commentary. Uh, it was a pleasure to have him as always. I did take some umbrage to the Rogue One commentary. Rogue One was absolute trash. I saw it with my girlfriend recently. It was, I mean, I can't count the number of times we turned to each other and said, are you effing serious or lame or I can't believe? Basically, it was a series of loosely connected fan service moments that, and I really loosely connected. I mean, that's, the connections are really what make movies and it had none of it. So I would recommend that you not go see it. I recommend that you not buy any merchandise. Save yourself the hassle. I was thinking about going to see it, but buying Rogue One merchandise. Yeah, I was actually just thinking about (laughs) buying merchandise. I wasn't going to see it, but I was like, God. These mugs look really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put any money in their pockets for this hopeless endeavor. Uh, Gareth Edwards, I had higher hopes for it, the director. I had higher hopes for it, and it was just absolute He's sorry to have let you down. I bet he is. Honestly, I think if you were to, if there were a truth serum like Dr. Ben Carson suggested that there were, uh, well, I bet you don't remember him talking about that? I just, I just, what an incredible pivot! It was, it was the news. <laughs> but um, I'm yeah, if you administered truth serum to him, I think he would admit that this is a failed project, and he was hampered by the constraints that were put on him, trying to appeal to all the various people that have seen these movies before. Like, oh, there's C3PO, there's R2D2, oh, there's the Death Star, oh, there's this. There's this. It was just not much of a movie. Don't see it. It's effing terrible. Is it good for the Rockets? It is great for the Rockets. Actually, it's had a huge impact on their season so far. We've seen that play out. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Since it's come out, the Rockets are 500. So. <laughs> I mean, well, a 10-game winning streak was snapped. All right, what are the top moments in Houston sports? Let's do it. All right, hold on. So Rogue One is gross $420 million. That's insane God. for a crappy movie. Yeah. All right. International, bro. 
Yeah. All right. There's a lot of Star Wars fans out there. I guess they'll see crap. Yeah, weirdly. I would have guessed yeah. that. But. Yeah, but thanks to uh, Polly G for joining us on the, the podcast this week. But, uh, you know, as we prepare to wrap up 2016, uh, there have been a lot of great moments in Houston sports this year. And, uh, you know, this is the last week of the year. And I'm kind of curious, what were the biggest sports storylines for all of you guys that impacted the city in 2016? Kevin, we'll start with you. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was, I was hoping you wouldn't start with me because I was going to kind of take it in a different direction here. The Houston Press released an article that was the worst moments in 2016, and it really was a lot of bad moments. Obviously, Tom Herman leaving the two losses this year for the Houston Cougars, which I think were a result of him not paying attention to the team, of him being focused on his next career. One of the moments they listed, though, was Dwight Howard opts out of his contract with the Rockets. I, I think that was that a great moment. That's on my highlights. That's that was a, a great moment. moment. Yeah, that was a good moment. That gave me a lot of hope at that point. That was when I started buying back into the Rockets going, hey, this could actually go somewhere. So that was a highlight for me. Obviously, the OU game I was at, I was in attendance. I was still covering U of H sports at that point. That was fantastic. I managed to weasel my way in by discovering kids from Klein and Cypher on both teams that uh, that I used as an excuse to go see that live. And it was an amazing moment. So for me, that was the highlight of the year. J.J. Watt getting injured, definitely a low light of the year. Tom Herman leaving, another low light of the year. So uh, really up and down season for me, vis-a-vis the Houston Cougars. Um, I'm hoping for a little more stability and, and even more success in years to come. What about you, Hunter? I'm new, you know. I, getting I, hired, right? Yeah. Well, oh my God, that was the highlight of my year. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, I think that <clears throat> I'm going to go with the 16 parlay by you, Austin. <laughs> that to me... If it hits, it could be the biggest story of the year. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> that to me, it's a comeback And story. I also parlayed it with the Rockets as well. So. Yeah, it's great for the Rockets. Well, it's great for the Rockets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, as a distant observer, you asked where the biggest storylines were, right? So it doesn't have to be good or bad. Um, God, Kevin McHale getting fired. That was just crazy. You know what I mean? Uh that he got fired so early, but I guess that would, that would have been last year. I know, I know. Well, I was just thinking that it set in motion mm. like this. What I was, what I was going, I, I was in a roundabout way. I was saying it has set up all the big Rockets moments this year, right? You need, you know, it's a pendulum, right? You needed the worst of last year to set up what now we see as this awesome comeback season, right? Yeah. So. I, was, I don't think, you know, we haven't, I guess, had a big Rockets moment yet, but the D'Antoni offense itself um, is definitely the biggest thing for me. And Tom Savage coming into the game. Yeah. And Ryan Anderson. It's just been a monster. You love him. You love his game. You oh, mentioned that I'm before. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that, I don't know, I can't really separate the Rockets this year from the Rockets last year. All right, fair point. Aaron, what about you? Yeah, I mean, the Rockets have been a great surprise, and that's been the cool thing. But we said there's no been real any big moment. I think the biggest storyline, obviously, is Osweiler and just <laughs> like just being a bomb. So uh, many lowlights. <laughs> yeah, I, that's, I was just, I was just thinking about this while you guys are talking. There really has been no like singular highlight that step stands out as the most. How about Tom Savage taking over? getting declared to be the starter. Like we're obviously, the listeners are ahead of us. They're going to hear this. We're not at that point yet in time. Yeah. But the but fact that he did this without Osweiler getting hurt, that's the impressive yeah. part. <laughs> See, but like, is, is Tom Savage taking over? I guess it depends on people's mood and the context, but is it a good thing or is it like a low? Is it a highlight? I think it could be a good thing, but I, I think it's also an indictment on Rick Smith. Right. Like, how, how, how much dirt do you have on Bob McNair to be able to make that decision and, and make so many bad decisions over time? But one of the things that we asked Paul Gallant on is he, he, he sent out a tweet last week saying that you can't really judge a quarterback until he has three games on film. And so that's why he, he was, you know, kind of cautiously optimistic about Tom Savage. But if you have more than three games of film from 2015 on Brock Osweiler, how does Smith and O'Brien make such a poor decision 
and having him as the quarterback and giving them that contract because there was nobody else interested in him besides Denver. I mean, those were the only two teams that were interested in Osweiler services this year. Yeah, I think, and like I heard somewhere, I forget where it was, but it's like quarterback obviously is the most important position in sports. And if, and there's any position where a team is just going to keep the person no matter what, it's quarterback. And mm-hmm. so if Denver was like, okay, you can just take them. That should have been a, like, that should have <laughs> been, been a sign, right? right? Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't. And I don't, yeah. I think they're just so desperate. Like, they, how many quarterbacks started the season before? I, and I, I, I mean, think it's been eight quarterbacks that have started for the Texans yeah. in the Bill O'Brien area, yeah, which like, is actually more than the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. So it's like they were just looking for something. And I think it was splashy. And is the first time the Texans have done anything sexy in like their history and it, it failed, failed yeah. miserably <laughs> but they tried yeah. i pray that someday at some job i feel as secure as rick smith evidently is i mean just to have that would be quite a blessing so shout out to you rick i think people's optimism about tom savage is like really funny like the way people like speak <laughs> about him like oh maybe this is it like this is like <laughs> I don't even without any optimism about his upcoming performances. I think just him being in the game, competing and winning that game might be a highlight for some people who are diehard Texans fans and who really hated not Brock Osweiler as the person, but hated the performance of Brock Osweiler and hated rooting for a team with Brock Osweiler under center. So I think even without any more success, that already might have been a high point for yeah. some fans. Yeah, if he throws the ball to Hopkins and doesn't turn it over, he'll probably be the quarterback again next season. <laughs> yeah. they, I mean, they can't really get like they're not going to expensive. Backup, they're not going to be able to. Yeah, they're not going to be able to like draft really high this year you tend to not like pick a quarterback in the middle of the first round and this, quarter- not a good and this, one, this quarterback class is not that good right so he's, he's probably gonna be the quarterback next season and then the, but they're still stuck in this cycle of not really having anyone good houston texans where nine and seven happens <laughs> you, know, you know you know it's interesting though this season so the brock osworth situation really distracted from uh, the jj watt situation mm-hmm. right i mean there was panic as soon as the season started and their defense has been so good Totally overshadowed it, and then the offense has been so bad it's overshadowed it. But that was like a really quickly buried storyline, and I say that even as you know, like somebody that obviously writes for a newspaper that covers this team. Man, we just let that one go. How much of it has to do with Jadavian Clowney, who was just named to the Pro Bowl this last last week? I mean, a lot of people coming into the season felt that he was a bust, you know, being taken number one overall, especially after a guy like Khalil Mack was drafted by Oakland and is having a remarkable campaign, uh, you know, the last three years, but. He's really emerged, especially the last few weeks, and I, I think that's led a lot of people to just almost forget about J.J. Watt. But do you think Clowney's success this year is, one, because he's healthy, obviously, but two, do you think it has to do with J.J. not in the lineup? Because, you know, J.J. kind of freelances, which makes other people on that defensive line have to know what's going on with J.J. before they can actually play their game. So you think that the team's better without J.J. Watt is what I'm hearing. That's not what I said at all. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think that's improved Clowney's game? development? Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I, if he's like, it's, it's like when a guy's a really good player on a bad basketball team or something, right? right? Like they suddenly get a bunch more touches and like when you're the star or something and you suddenly have to be the person everything's configured around. That's definitely, that's an better. interesting take. I never really thought about that, right? Cause the, cause the immediate thought you would have is, Oh my God, if we had both of these guys playing, holy crap. But yeah, I, n- I never thought about it that way. Yeah, interesting. I don't know. I don't. I don't watch film. Uh, nor does Rick Smith. But <laughs> 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 I 
But uh, yeah, the Texans, great story. That was actually one of the the things that I had in my mind was just the the narrative going with Brock Osweiler, Tom Savage, and just the quarterback situation here in Houston. But there were kind of two other stories that kind of stuck out for me this year. One, uh, since I'm a baseball guy, I think Jose Altuve just having the, mm. the, the type of season that he did, finished third in the MVP votes. And I, I think the cool thing about Altuve is just it seems that each year he continues to elevate his game and take it to a new level. And, you know, especially what he did with his power numbers this year, just setting a, you know, a career high and home runs this year, but a phenomenal future for the Astros, especially the middle of the infield and the entire infield in general. But the other big stories that stuck out for me within the city of Houston, and I'm going to take a different approach, not really high profile sports, but the two Simones, Simone Biles and Simone Manuel. Uh, Simone Biles just had a phenomenal, she was the, you know, essentially the face of the Rio 2016 Olympic Games. And Simone Manuel, uh, I believe she had uh, two golds and two silvers in the pool. And she was the first African-American woman to ever win a gold medal in a swimming event at the Olympics. And so to me, that's just a remarkable story. And then uh, knowing, you know, Simone Biles and her history, you know, being uh, adopted, orphaned, that sort of thing, and just being, what, a four-time world champion and, and arguably the most decorated gymnast of our generation. I mean, I know those aren't high-profile sports. Uh, gymnastics and swimming, you only think about them every four years. But it's kind of cool that two of arguably the biggest storylines coming out of Rio 2016, besides Ryan Lochte and, you know, yeah. Michael Phelps, were two Houstonians. I think that's kind of cool. I had 100% forgotten that the Olympics took place this year until you mentioned it, but that is that is a great take. I totally 100% agree with that now that I recall that occurred. They're probably the most triumphant things mm-hmm. to happen related to Houston this year. Yeah. And, like the, and like the Astros, I guess, with Altuve, it was kind of like he, he wasn't really impressive, but it was kind of weird because the Astros weren't drastically disappointing what they were a little disappointing so. the year for the Astros was so fascinating to yeah. me because you know they started so terribly and then you know they fought their way back up and then they had the injury issues but then you know a lot of people wrote them off and then they continue to oh my gosh they might actually make a wild card push and then ultimately I think injuries got the best of them but it was a I'm optimistic for 2017 yeah it's of gigantic expectations I was gonna say for this upcoming season well I mean Sports Illustrated had the cover with George That's Springer right. on it saying 2017 World Series champ so we'll see if it's I've, I've used some questions so um, what is the next, like, what happens to Greg Ward Jr., right? This guy was so beloved, and if this, you know... Rough way to go yeah. out. Yeah, right? Um, does he just, you know, fade like a lot of these other awesome college quarterbacks that are eligible for the Heisman, that play really well, but then can't cut it at the next level? I mean... He's not going to be a quarterback at the next level. He he's, might be a slot receiver. I was going to say, you think he's going to be at the next level, though? I, I, think, I, I, think some team, I think some team, if you can overlook the health and injury issues that he's had, and I think a lot of that is because he is undersized and gets beat up mm-hmm. playing football because he takes those risks. But I think also, if you're looking at film, you like the fact that your quarterback is putting his body on the line. And so maybe... Also, he used to return kicks. Yeah, he was a I believe terrific his, wide receiver. I believe his freshman year, he was a wide receiver. I don't know what his yep. stats are, but I think that some team is going to give him a look just because of his pure athletic ability. Well, he's going to be an interesting Houston story to follow. Is mm-hmm. my point, right? Like, I, I don't, I don't know the program well enough. Was he undoubtedly like the most interesting, most uh, fun quarterback to watch? In the Case history? Keenum, I think, is yeah. might hold that. But I didn't get the sense that it was that, to use the word they used, Aaron. I didn't get a sense that it was so triumphant as Greg Ward. And Tom Herman sort of simultaneously like uplifting the program to this level, right? I so, don't know. There was there was a lot of hype here a, a few lot years ago with, with Case yeah. Keenum, and, and also they had no defense playing for them. So it was one hundred percent on Keenum in the offense. He was he was a local hero, no question about it. I was actually working at the school during part of that time, working for the school newspaper covering them. And so yeah, there was a tremendous amount of interest, and that's why people still talk about him in regards to his NFL career and so forth, even though he's been and such there, a non-factor. Yeah, the next there level. are a lot of Texans fans right now that will tell you that they think Case Keenum could actually be the starter for this franchise. I mean, that's how many Case Keenum truthers there. Are yeah. still in the city of Houston. 
<laughs> I'm one of them because I just I'm I'm hopelessly biased because I loved watching Keenum. I loved what he did at the collegiate level. So I'm one of those guys who was always saying bring Keenum in. I I probably still would, but I know it's dumb. <laughs> All right, we'll at least you a minute. But yeah. uh, it's it's been a fun year for Houston sports, and I think there's a lot to look forward to in 2017 with uh, you know maybe a new quarterback going in for the Texans. Uh, obviously, the Rockets, how far they can go in the playoff push, and uh, Western Conference of, Finals. You heard yeah, it here first, and a lot of excitement. Well, last year, you did predict they would win the NBA championship. I did, so. I did predict that. You're right. <laughs> you were far off on that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I predicted they would be in the finals. I predicted they win it. Oh yeah. Oh really? So that was not good for the Rockets. <laughs> We're just continuing to bring that back. But I think there's a lot of excitement as well for the Astros and especially what that offense could do. If they can find some pitching, I think they're going to be a threat in the American League. But, uh, guys, it's been fun uh, recording with you all uh, in 2016. And we look forward to uh, bringing it back in 2017, uh, you know, as we discuss the college football championship game, also the Texans, hopefully playoff prospects. But uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, podcasting each week. Uh, in 2016 and both hunter and aaron we appreciate you for uh, joining us this week it's uh, it's been a blast drop them twitter handles boys hunter atkins 35 where does the 35 come from it's not that cool is it a baseball uh, <laughs> yeah it's my favorite player ever it's i know it's so uncool i, I, I totally nailed it last week. my favorite player ever you said it was um, his number it is so first of all well why do you think it was my number right uh, so i was nice. i was such a dork i still yeah. am i my favorite player of all time, my favorite athlete of all time is Mike Mussina. Okay. That's really? so niche, right? Yeah. On the but ball. I just I love watching him pitch. Yeah, the I, knuckle curve. Knuckle curve, yep. uh, crossword puzzle, the whole thing. He, um, <laughs> no, I, I it's so dorky. I um I was a horrendous pitcher growing up, but I really liked pitching. And then I became a mediocre pitcher because I emulated his motion. He had hmm. a very dramatic high knee jump yep. step, and yeah, I, I just I don't know. I was a kid who adored the guy. And uh, adopted his number. Have been using that for you know all sorts of other weird things where you have to, I guess, like add a number to your name. And all that's not of- an uncool story. I don't think that's dorky. You're very sweet. Thank you. Hundred percent. That is the truth. <laughs> so Hunter Atkins, thirty-five. Uh, I also occasionally on Sunday nights, including this Sunday. I know this is going to be on Monday, but still, uh, I go on Texas Nation, which is the Houston Chronicle sports show right. that airs on local NBC. Very usually between. Thank you. Usually between eleven uh, thirty p.m. and twelve thirty a.m. So make sure to give that a check on uh, NBC here in NBC, Houston. NBC, local yeah. NBC. Yeah, local NBC affiliates. And uh, Aaron, we appreciate you for joining us for the first time. Uh, I guess you're here for Christmas break. And uh, hopefully you're back working for the Chronicle or in the city of Houston uh, once you graduate. But uh, for those that are interested in following you on Twitter, where, the, where can they find you? Yeah, Aaron J. Reese. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I hope to be back here soon and I head back to school pretty soon. When do you graduate? May. Okay, so you're, you're at yeah, the yeah. tail end of this. Then. Okay, well, I, hey, yeah. can he intern for you guys? Yes. I don't yes, know that we can, we can pay in desserts. Yeah. <laughs> we do that pay works, in we yeah. desserts. <laughs> All right, but uh, Kevin, it wouldn't be a podcast without you plugging your Twitter handle, so let's just go in here. I haven't done it in a while. I don't know why you use that tone with me, but it's at K Michael Cook is mine. I've been doing a lot of coverage <laughs> of high school sports in the area. Also, uh, we'll tweet about random stuff, like how terrible Rogue One is or, uh, or how much I enjoy Hunter's work has been another one of my recent tweets. So you should follow me anyway because you're obviously a fan of mine. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you love me. I know that for a fact. So, or just related to you. That's fine, too. Anybody who's related. if Honestly, if all my relatives followed me, I'd probably double my Twitter following. So at K. Michael That's Cook, impressive. Go do it. 
All right. Yeah. So if you want to follow me as well, you can search a Staten on Twitter. I tweet about sports, Baylor, and oil and gas. So if you, Lots if of you want that, yeah, that's cool. But <laughs> but again, this has been episode 74 of the Weekly Group Podcast. And thanks to Paul Gallant from Sports Radio 610, host of Gallant at Night. You can hear that Monday through Friday. I believe it starts at 7 p.m. on Sports Radio 610. But thanks to Paul for joining us, talking a little Texans, Rogue One, and uh, pretty much everything else. But guys, it's been fun. Thanks for joining us this week. And on behalf of my co-host, Kevin Cook, I'm Austin Staten. We'll see you next year. And guys, remember, no matter who you are, where you go, or what you do, always, always brew responsibly. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 